middle of a series that I started back um, really on September the 4th. I started preparing us for what uh, we were going to start talking about through the book of Revelation. And then um, also on September the 11th, and then last week we had missionary Jeremy Settle with us, and so we were not uh, in that series. And so just a quick recap, uh, I want to bring your attention to some of the resources that I have out on the table that you're able to pick up through the month of September. I'm going to have to be mailing those back, and so if you would like to pick those up, uh, today, probably next Sunday might be the last opportunity that you have to pick any of those up, Um, but... Back in uh, several months ago, I listened to a podcast on a podcast I listen to regularly called The Influence Podcast. It's put out by the Assemblies of God. And I was surprised the guy that they interviewed was a guy by the name of Daniel Isgrig. And he has written a book that is available out in the lobby that talks about the history of the Assemblies of God eschatology. Eschatology is just the fancy word for end times. And so our view of how things are going to happen at the end of time. And so... Um, I was surprised by that, so it led me into a deeper study, and I've probably read about a dozen books since that time, and dozens of podcasts that I've listened to, videos, YouTube videos that I've watched, really just trying to dive in and prepare for what I felt like was just going to be a very introductory uh, sermon series to the book of Revelation. And so I've made some books available because we're not going to go real deep, but if you want to read more, these are available to you. And uh, I put them out there for you for that. Uh, Back in 2012, Christy and I had a chance to go to Israel. And that's really where my understanding of not just the book of Revelation, but how to look at the scripture began to change. Um, I began to see the scripture from a Jewish perspective, since the book of, you know, the Bible was actually written by the nation of Israel, by Jews, uh, for the nation of Israel or Jews. It would be helpful for us to understand this culture and how they understood the book as it was written so that we then can make application for our lives today. And all of us bring a lens to the Bible. So we have what we call a bias. Um, A bias isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just, again, the way we view the world. It's our lens. And it's generally shaped by our upbringing It's generally shaped by the first thing we hear. Um, Initial bias is a phrase that talks about uh, the leaning that all of us have toward the first thing that is presented to us. Uh, Statistically, if overwhelming, like scientific information is presented to us, we tend to believe the initial thing we've heard and learned over anything new. Like we generally as human beings just kind of gravitate toward that very first thing that we, we have heard and we're not really open to learning and understanding new things because we're convinced that the first thing we heard is the right thing. Now that may sometimes be the case, but as we have done some archaeology over the years, as we found things like the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, we've begun to understand that some of the ways we were looking at things weren't the way we ought to look at them, and it's changed our views on some things. We're understanding more every day about the culture that Jesus lived in, the culture of ancient Israel, the Hebrew language, Greek language, and we're actually starting to put things into uh, our culture today, our understanding of the Bible, that have never been there before. If you use an online version of the Bible. So if you use the YouVersion Bible app, you'll notice that 
online translations are changing all the time. And it's like, why are they changing all the time? Because we're learning new things all the time. We're understanding new things all the time. And sometimes I agree with those changes. And sometimes I don't agree with those changes. But um, it's, not, it's a matter that we are continuing to learn and to grow. So when we read the book of Revelation, we have to understand that we bring a lens to the book of Revelation. Most of us were raised in evangelical churches or churches that maybe were influenced a lot by the Left Behind series, the Tim LaHaye, the fact that Revelation for, for us is maybe like a timeline of how the end of the world is going to go. And we take that book and we put it on the newspaper and we try to discern, like we try to discern the times and the seasons and who's going to be this person and who's going to be that person. And that's the lens that a lot of us use to read the book of Revelation. I don't believe that's what the book of Revelation is meant to do. And as we start unpacking some of this, I'll share with you why I don't think that and why I do. But again, it's going to be pretty surface level. So if you want to go deeper, not only do I recommend um, Daniel Isgrig's book, um, the first one, Daniel Isgrig's book about um, the assemblies of God and what we understand, but the, the second one, then, is the book about reading Revelation responsibly. Reading Revelation responsibly, if you've been doing the YouVersion Bible reading plan, um, this is a book that they reference quite a bit. And ultimately, his understanding is that the message of Revelation is about allegiance to the Lamb, following the Lamb, following the ways of the Lamb. Can I tell you that all through the book of Revelation, Jesus is portrayed as a lamb who's been slaughtered. He's got blood on him all the way through the book of Revelation. And it's his own. At the end, when he comes riding on a white horse for the end of time, guess what he's covered in? That's right, his own blood. So we have got to understand that there is a kingdom of the world, a kingdom of empire, that is out for blood. And then there's the kingdom of the lamb that actually lays down its life for others. And we have to be careful not to give allegiance to the kingdoms of this world over our allegiance to the Lamb. And that's why I chose Patriot Day, September 11th, to really start talking about this idea of patriotism and what's a good patriotism for us and maybe what's a dangerous patriotism for us. And so reading Revelation responsibly will kind of unpack that for us a little bit and from that, he will talk to us about um, patriotism in a way that says you can't be a patriot and be a Christian. Um, he doesn't actually come out and say that, but he gets really close, and I'm not comfortable with that. I think there is a level of Christian patriotism and involvement. So the other book that I have out there is called How to Be a Patriotic Christian that goes along with that. That's a great book and a great resource to read. And then there's one other book out there called Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. And Surprised by Hope is um, a book, he's, written, he's a British author, uh, British theologian, and so he presents end times events and opens us up to a reading of the scripture that may be unfamiliar to those of us who have grown up in the United States. And so it is a great resource. All of them are great resources. I would buy them all, uh, but they're available to you, but only for about another week, and then I need to send them back. And so please stop by the table as you leave today and... Um, pick those up if you would like. So 
this idea of how to be a patriotic Christian is what we talked about last week. I preached, or two weeks ago, with the sermon, The Donkey, the Elephant, and the Lamb. And how far is too far? Like, how much allegiance can we give to our country? And when do we go too far? And I told you, I won't tell you where that line is. Uh, I believe there is a line. And we, I believe, as believers, need to wrestle with it. I believe that both of our major political parties. I, I don't want to short-sight the fact that we do have other political parties in the United States, um, but there are two major parties, and we know what they are, and they're represented by the donkey and the elephant. And both of those parties have used Scripture to back up a lot of their viewpoints. And I, I would actually not say they use Scripture. I think sometimes they misuse Scripture to back up their viewpoints. In fact, in 2020, here's a quote from a speech that was given back in 2020. Listen to this on the screen for you too. Let's run the race marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes on old glory and all she represents. Let's fix our eyes on this land of heroes and let their courage inspire. Let's fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith and freedom and never forget that where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom and that means freedom always wins. Now of course as soon as this was given Facebook and social media blew up. And there are those on the one side of the spectrum that say this has gone too far. I mean, you may recognize Hebrews chapter 12. Let's run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father in heaven. You may recognize Paul the Apostle saying where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I don't think he was referencing uh, American democracy and freedom at all um, when he wrote those words. And so is it okay for us as believers to take the Scripture and use it in this way for our political advantage? Now, there were some that would defend this and say, well, we're Christians, we should use the Bible to defend our viewpoints. And I'm not going to say we shouldn't, but this was the conversation that we started having when this speech was made. Now, for those of you that know your history, you know who made the speech, and I don't have anything against the person who made the speech. I love and respect the person who made the speech, but I'm not going to tell you whether or not I have a problem with it, but I want you to wrestle with whether or not this is too far. Because when we look at the book of Revelation, I think that at one point, we are looking for a kingdom that is overtly beastly. We are looking for a kingdom who is like totally anti-Jesus. But what if the kingdom that comes is so deceptive in nature that it actually twists some of the scripture to give us a little bit of what we want? We have to be careful that we do not get deceived by the kingdoms of this world. This is a very real danger for Christians of all times. Prophets in our day have referred to America as the great Babylon quite often because of our lust for pleasure, because of our greed, because of many things that exist in our country that also existed in the land of Babylon. Now, that doesn't mean America's terrible and America should be damned or anything like that. You can go too far, but we have to recognize that there is a problem with every kingdom of the world. So we wrestled with whether or not as Americans or Canadians or whatever nationality, can we give too much allegiance to the beast? And well, yeah, the answer is yes, we can. And we don't want to go that far. But at the same time, 
I don't want to go to the opposite extreme that really Michael Gorman goes into where, you know, we have to avoid all civil religion. Civil religion would be like saying the phrase, God bless America. I mean, it's not really tied to any one religion, if you will, and there's, we're not even invoking the name of Jesus, but we're using God in a way that, that brings um, some type of deistic or theistic idea of the belief in a God to the table. And there are some Christians that think, oh, we should stay away from all of that in our country. But I would go to Romans chapter 1, to the Apostle Paul, and look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, and through everything God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God. But they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. They instead became utter fools. See, I don't mind as a country when we end a speech with God bless America. I don't mind when we open in prayer at events that even aren't always the most godly places in the world. Um, you know, a lot of times we open in prayer uh, at the bull bash, and yet most of what's happening at the bull bash doesn't honor the name of Jesus. But uh, there's a lot of stuff that is okay that happens there too. But I'm, I'm okay with that. Why am I okay with that? Because what Paul says here is when people look around and they see God or they have some sense that there's an existence of God, it actually causes them to start pursuing God. And then as they pursue God, God reveals himself through Jesus, through his word. And if there's no mention of God whatsoever, if we close it off totally, that's a dangerous place. And so I'm okay with civil religion. I could be wrong. Some Christians will totally disagree with me and uh, may even somehow watch this video and send me some emails about how terrible I am and how wrong I am, which is okay because uh, I could be wrong, but I'm okay with it. In fact, going back to Jeremiah 29.7, which we read earlier in the service, we use this verse a lot at Restoration Church. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. I believe we are called to be people of the kingdom of God in a foreign land, just like the people of Israel in that passage were called to be a people of God in a foreign land. They were in Babylon, literally. Okay, and so now figuratively, when Babylon comes on the scene, you and I can actually pray for the peace and prosperity of whatever nation we are a part of because our welfare is going to be tied to that nation's welfare as well. But it doesn't tell them in Jeremiah 29 that they have to make sure that they make everyone behave like a believer. It doesn't. In fact, Daniel really doesn't do much throughout the book of Daniel to make other people behave like a Christian, but he models it in his lifestyle, even at the risk of his own life. That's what you and I are called to. Well, does that mean, Pastor Tom, we shouldn't vote moral values? No, you should absolutely vote moral values, but you cannot come to the place where you think this is a life or death, win or lose at all costs. We have to get this person elected. Because when we do that, then we start fighting with the weapons of the world and not the weapons of the kingdom. And that's the danger of associating too much 
and we start insulting and name-calling, and we use these shock techniques, and we justify it because the ends justify the means. False. Never. They do not. And the book of Revelation will point that out to us. We are called to live like the lamb no matter what and to recognize that God holds kingdoms in his hand and he determines when they rise and when they fall and he will not be thwarted in what he wants to see happen on the earth. That's the, the peace that we can have as we walk through difficult times. So that's, again, my view on uh, that misuse of, uh, of Scripture or the misuse on both sides of the aisle of Scripture and how to really process and walk through that. And so one last resource that I want to draw your attention to today again is the Bible reading plan on version called um, Reading Revelation Wisely. In, many of you have been a part of that, and uh, I have put a resource out there. For those of you that maybe don't have version. Um, this is going to be for you, and if you do have version, you've noticed, if you've watched the, the videos, you've seen this little chart. The Bible Project is just known for these little charts. They try to take every book of the Bible and draw some pictures and try to help us understand what that book means and what that book says. And for some of you, if you've already watched this video, you might be like, hmm, that's something I've never heard before. And maybe you liked it, or maybe you didn't. But I would find, if you would take this chart, and for those of you that don't have the YouVersion Bible app and you can't even watch it, I, there's a copy of the whole script. So everything they said is right there. So you can just read it, and you can take that and this, and they're out on the table. There's a bunch of copies, and they look like that. So you can grab one of those, and I'd encourage you to grab it, because in the Bible reading plan, we're only reading like five chapters from the book of Revelation, uh, which for, like for me, that's my one critique of their Bible reading plan, that it's like, mm, let's read all of the chapters. Um, and so I've encouraged you on the plan to read all the chapters. And if you take that chart as you read it and just read it slowly. I know, here, get this, study the Bible. Yeah, it's okay to do that. It's actually okay this week, instead of watching your favorite TV program or Netflix, you can just DVR that baby, and you can study the Bible, and then maybe watch your show at a later time, or maybe never. I don't know, but let's try to, to dig into this book, and let's wrestle with it over the next couple of weeks, probably uh, two more weeks after this. But I'd encourage you to go back to my Labor Day message and my Patriot Day message, because I unpack a whole lot of stuff there that I'm just going to assume you know uh, that we, as we go through the day today. So, the book of Revelation, the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I was really good, I would have had, like, some really powerful, like, end music right there. And so, Revelation, I believe, is written as both an encouragement and a warning. I've already alluded to it. It's an encouragement that God is going to be faithful. That in spite of the evil that is prevalent in whatever time or season that you live in as a believer reading it, that God's kingdom will prevail. Like victory is assured. Because the ultimate thing that seems to be like the worst thing possible um, is to die, to be killed. But we understand as we read the book of Revelation (laughs) that death is actually victory. So what the worst thing that can happen to us in this life is actually victory in the kingdom. And so we can, be, we can be at peace no matter what is happening around us that victory is happening. But it's also a warning 
There is a temptation for churches, for believers, in every season of life, especially the difficult ones like the exile to Babylon or what the, the, the first century church would have been experiencing when the book of Revelation was first penned in the Roman Empire or even what we're experiencing in our world today. I promise you there are believers all around the world that are facing persecution far greater than whether or not you should wear a mask. I know in 2020 we made like wearing a mask like the ultimate in persecution, but can I tell you that is not persecution and please never refer to it as that because there are brothers and sisters in Christ actually fleeing for their lives today and that is persecution, okay? So let's make sure when we call something persecution that that's what it really is. Now you can disagree or agree with wearing a mask. It doesn't matter, but it's not a biblical concept. It's really just your own personal opinion. And so please feel free to choose whichever personal opinion you would like. But as we go through the book of Revelation, we want to keep in mind both the encouragement and the warning. Again, we, I, I don't know that we want to wrestle with this idea of who are the major players. I don't think John is writing it to us so that you and I can figure out who the players are. In fact, most of our theology uh, is like this pre-trib, premillennial theology, and we're not even going to be here for it, according to our own theology. So why would God take time to, to write a book that would tell us all about it if we're not even going to be on the earth when it happens? Well, I actually think we might be on the earth for some of it, but that's beside the point. So real quick, the end time, really, when we talk about end times events, we're talking about two specific things, two specific events. One of them is the tribulation. The other would be the millennium. Those are two separate events. The tribulation is referred to as a seven-year period on the earth. There are people that view this time as a time of God's wrath. There are other people that view it as a time of God's grace, actually, that because of the sin that has built up on the earth, this is like God's last-ditch effort to try to get people to recognize that he's God and that through this period of tribulation on the earth that people will come to know him. Now, the seven-year period for some, church, some churches and some believers, they believe that the church is going to get raptured or taken away before it happens, pre-tribulation rapture. Some believe that the worst part of it is going to be the last three and a half years. So it's actually, we're going to be here for the first part, but we're going to get raptured at the second part. Those are known as mid-tribulation beliefs. Then there are those that believe that Jesus is going to come a second time, but we are going to be here through all of the tribulation. And when Jesus comes, we're actually going to be caught up to meet him in the air as he's coming back to earth. And those people are post-tribulation. Now here's the thing. If you believe pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, you can still be a follower of Jesus. Okay? This is not essential for your salvation. Every time I have taught on tribulation... I have taught you as a church to believe in both pre-trib and post-trib. Meaning, be ready for Jesus to return at any moment. Live your life in such a way that pre-trib is correct. However, also be prepared to suffer a persecution on the earth and do not be disillusioned if we're not true, if it's not pre-trib, and we actually start going through a tribulation period, I don't want you to fall away. So believe that post-trib could be possible too. That's my take on it. Then, the book of Revelation is often used to talk about the idea of an antichrist figure or, and the false prophet. And so some people are of the belief that these represent real 
individual people that will appear on the earth. There will be a real person who is wounded in the head, raised back to life, and he is the Antichrist. Uh, John F. Kennedy was told that we were, he was going to be the Antichrist. The Pope has been named as the Antichrist in the past. Uh, lots of different people that have, the church has come along and said, hey, I think this guy's the Antichrist. I think this guy's the Antichrist. I actually preached in my home church one time. I was really excited. I gave a great message. And uh, one of my friends came up to me after and says, I, I want to know what you think. Do you think Benny Hinn could be the false prophet? Apparently, my sermon wasn't all that good that day because it didn't have anything to do with Benny Hinn or the false prophet. But um, <laughs> I don't think we're supposed to worry about it. We're supposed to be aware that there will be antichrists on the earth. Some of them will be political leaders. Some of them will be religious leaders. They will be, they will be proclaiming and living a message that is antichrist. Okay? Whether this is a specific individual or a reference to a type of system that is led by this, these types of people or multiple people, I do not know. And I do not think it matters as far as the meaning of the book of Revelation. The false prophet could be an individual person or it could be well within reach that it is the idea of propaganda and social media that exists. The false prophet is all about the spreading the beliefs of the Antichrist. Well, that could be an individual, but it could also be social media because nothing spreads faster than social media. So I don't know which one's right. Both of them could be right. Neither of them could be right, uh, but you can get into heaven believing either one. Okay, so there's, there's my take on that. And then, real quick, on the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, we all believe that there is going to be a reign of Jesus Christ on the earth physically at some point. Jesus Christ will show up on the earth and he will reign. Premillennial people, in essence, believe that there's going to be a rapture, the second coming. Jesus will reign then for 1,000 years on the earth. Satan is going to get bound away and can no longer try to attack anyone or deceive anyone. At the end of the thousand years, he gets released. There's a final battle called Armageddon. Bum, 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 bum. But can I tell you, it's not really a battle because all Jesus does is fight with the sword from his mouth or his word, and the battle is over. So there will be no blood shed, okay, on that day. It will just be, the battle is done. It is finished. In fact, all the blood has been shed. He shed it. Okay, now at that point, there's a final judgment. And if you've put faith in Christ, you get to enter into eternity with him. And if you have not put faith in Christ, you enter eternity apart from him in the lake of fire. That's what the book of Revelation teaches us. Okay, so that's the premillennial view. Postmillennial view, these people can still be Christians. I'm a little hard on them because I, I'm not really sure how this works. Um, but they believe we're in the millennium right now that Jesus is reigning from heaven. And I, I, I get that. I believe that. Um, but they also believe that Satan is bound right now. And I shouldn't laugh because I shouldn't like knock other people's beliefs. Um, but they do have scriptures to back this up, um, that Satan is somehow like restricted a little bit. And that's what bound means. The tribulation already happened. It was in the past when the temple was destroyed in AD 70. That was that. And uh, the, the world is just going to get better and better and better because the church is going to bring in the second coming of Jesus and his victorious reign forever and ever on the earth. You can get to heaven with that view. Um, I just don't think that that matches scripture. 
Um, then there's the amillennial view, which I, I really lean this way a little bit more, um, but I don't really fit in any of these views, so I, I don't know where I am. So whether you want to define yourself as one of these or just be like, I'm just going to pick my own, uh, you can do that too, but just base it off of the scripture and not just what you'd like to believe. Um, but this one is so hard to define because nothing is literal for the amillennialist. The, like, it could be a thousand-year reign, but it could not be. It could be already happening, but it could be like sometime in the future. Um, Revelation gives us different angles of history, and it's not like a timeline. Um, and, the, you know, there's, uh, again, no tribulation. And so, I don't know, all of these views have strengths, and all of them have weaknesses, and that was a super quick synopsis of them all. Um, but the problem is our lens for Revelation generally comes through them. And I want us to try to read Revelation as if we didn't have a view. Like, what is the book of Revelation really saying? I think Scripture, from beginning to end, talks about the kingdom of God that is already and not yet. When Jesus, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, I don't have this verse on the screen, but when Jesus, because of his death, has brought us forgiveness of sins, but Paul also says in this verse that he has transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. So you and I are already living under the reign of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. Okay? And there are pockets of the kingdom that can be released everywhere. I think that there's a clear call in the book of Revelation for us to live out the kingdom of God the same way that Jesus did on the earth. But I don't think it's going to get better and better and better and better and better um, I think it can be good, but it's not going to get better until Jesus actually steps back on the planet. Like, that's the final. So it's already and not yet. That's how kind of I define it. But I also don't believe, like, the premillennial view tends to lead us in this idea that things are just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Oh, just going to get worse. Just going to keep getting worse till Jesus comes. And I think the danger of that is for us to just keep saying that and then neglect our responsibility to actually live in the kingdom now. And that's the, the danger. There's a guy, a missionary by the name of Chris Carter, and Chris Carter wrote a book called Revelation, The End Times and the Never Reached. And in that book, he writes this, The book of Revelation is not a call to date setting or abandoning life in society, but it is a call to live missional lives driven by a vision of the end. Okay, the book of Revelation is not about how everything's going to go down, but it's a wake-up call for the church to start being missional in the midst of crisis. Dr. George Wood has passed away now. He was a, our former superintendent before uh, Doug Clay became our superintendent. And he wrote a foreword to this book that Chris wrote. And this is what Dr. Wood says. Chris understands Revelation as I have always understood it, that the book is not a riddle to be deciphered but a message to believers of all generations to be faithful to Christ's mission in the face of suffering and trial. Will we stay committed to the mission when it costs us our money, our homes, and our lives? The first century believers were asked to answer that question, and so must we. If there is a person that I've encountered in my life that I would respect, it would be Dr. Wood. Um, he's one of the most intelligent, studied, and Pentecostally fervent, fervent people that I'd ever met in my life. Um, and so as I read this book, 
uh, earlier this year, um, his words kind of struck me because I'd never really thought of Revelation that way. I had gotten caught up in the Left Behind series, and for me, that was all of it. But over the last 10 years, as I began to study the book of Revelation, I just don't know that that fits the narrative of Scripture. If I take off my Left Behind goggles and I put on just regular glasses and I try to look at the Scripture, I don't think that view makes as much sense as it used to be to me. There's one thing I want to give you, or actually three things I want to give you as a takeaway that I think I can cover in the next 10 minutes. Can I take 10 more minutes and cover three things? Okay, good. I didn't even wait for you to answer. There are three different types of literature that the book of Revelation is, okay? So this is important. The first one is based off the Greek word apocalypsis. Okay, that's the Greek word, apocalypsis. It means revelation. Now, you know we get our word apocalypse from this word. And if I say in our culture today the word apocalypse, everybody automatically thinks end of the world. End of the world, that's what we're talking about. Apocalypse. The apocalypse is coming. The word apocalypse actually just means revelation. Okay, so the book of Revelation is not the book of Revelations. (laughs) That's just a pet peeve of mine. Um, Let's call it what it is the book of Revelation. And where do we get that from? Revelation 1.1. The apocalypsis, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, John, to show his servants what must happen very soon. He made it clear by sending his angel to his servant, John. So we call the book of Revelation apocalyptic literature. It is apocalyptic literature. Literature. The hard thing for us is we don't have apocalyptic literature in our day and age. Parts of the Bible, parts of Ezekiel, parts of Zechariah, parts of Daniel are apocalyptic in nature. Um, There are other sources outside of the Bible that we have discovered with the Dead Sea Scrolls, things like 4 Ezra, um, the the book of Baruch would be another one. These are Jewish writings. They're not scripture, but they help us to understand apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature uses images rather than words to convey ideas. So apocalyptic literature is conveying this message, but not giving us minute details. So when we go into the book of Revelation and we start trying to dissect the minute details, we're missing the point of the literature. That there's an overarching message that we have to keep in mind. And it's the idea that there's this cosmic battle where the spiritual world and the physical world are always overlapping. We live in a society where spiritual world, physical world, I mean, they're somewhat connected. But for the, the ancient Israelite, for the Jew, for an Eastern thinker, the spiritual world and the physical world are always overlapping. Why does he write to the angel in the church of Ephesus? (laughs) Does he mean messenger? Does he mean angelic being? Does he mean pastor? What's he mean? Doesn't matter. Because for John, they're the same. Okay, there are beings that are all around us all the time. We can't see them, but they're empowering things on the earth. They're fighting each other right now. And what we do as believers affects them. In fact, in Revelation, we'll see the prayers of the saints poured out on the earth. Can I ask you a question? How full is the bowl that God wants to pour out for his will to be done if it's filled with the prayers of the saints? 
Crickets, 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 crickets. I've been a pastor for 24 years, and if you get 15 people at a prayer meeting, it's a miracle and it's a revival. But yet, Revelation clearly talks about how prayer matters, and it's a part of what God does to bring about His will in the end times. But we would much rather watch stuff on TV that tell us who the Antichrist is than we would pray. And I'm afraid if the church is prayerless in the last days, we'll be easily deceived by what's coming on the earth. That's just a call to prayer. So, apocalypsis. It's not a secret code. It's not this thing that we have to try to figure out. It's a type of literature that's meant to bring encouragement and warning, and it uses symbolism, sometimes very grotesque symbolism, to help us understand what's happening. We'll talk a little bit more about apocalyptic literature uh, next week, but the second one, there's a second type of literature, and that is the word epistle. You know what an epistle is? You've probably heard that word growing up in church a lot. It's just a letter. That's all it means, a letter. So the epistle of Romans is the letter to the church in Romans. The epistle of Colossians is the letter to the church in Colossae. The, the book of Revelation is a letter. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, from John, who wrote it, to the seven churches that are in the province of Asia, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write the following. To the angel of the church of Smyrna, write the following. To the angel, he's writing. This is a letter. This is a letter written from a, an early church leader, whether you believe it's the apostle John who walked with Jesus, or a later John who served in the church. We have record of him. Doesn't matter. It's written from John, and it's written to seven churches. And he is talking to them about the, the dangers that can come upon the church. There are three dangers that he addresses, and we're going to unpack these more next week. The, the danger of apathy. The danger of complacency, if you will. There are churches that he writes to that have become complacent. Your, your work is left unfinished. You need to finish something that you've been called to. There are some that are, are compromising. There is, there is this woman Jezebel who is leading people into sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. Now, you and I read that, and instantly we're like, oh, it's sexual immorality. That's true in our world. But if you take it in the context that it's written, sexual immorality and food sacrifice to idols, the only two places, the only place that that goes together would be a guild, or what we would refer to as a labor union. So if I'm in the early church, and I want to be a part of a labor union so I can make money and support my family, I have to participate in a guild. And in order to participate in the guild, I have to participate in sexual immorality and eating of the food sacrificed to idols at those parties. And so I have a choice to make. Either economic hardship or compromise. Economic compromise. So it's easy for us to look at the world and say, oh, he's talking to all those sexually immoral people out there. But how can you and I in the church be compromised economically, and that would really more apply to us than sexual immorality would apply to us. Again, not that it doesn't apply to us, but we're going to start unpacking what that means and how it applies to us in the church world. But in order to understand it, it's a letter, we have to understand what it meant to them, and then we'll know how to apply it to ourselves. It's a letter. Then the third type of literature Revelation chapter 1, 
verse 3. This appears actually several times in the book of Revelation, but listen to this. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Oh, it's a prophecy. I thought it was an apocalypsis. I thought it was a letter. I thought, and now it's a prophecy? It's all three? Oh my goodness, no wonder this book is hard to understand. And as we read it, we have to keep in mind that it's all three of these at the same time. And so understanding it is not just going to be whatever pops into our head. You and I might actually have to take time to study if we're going to understand what's being communicated in the book of Revelation. But listen to these words of this prophecy. Because you and I, when we hear the word prophecy, we think someone's telling us the future. That is not what prophecy means. Prophecy is not foretelling Prophecy is forth-telling. Prophecy is speaking a word from the Lord. And every time a prophetic word is given in the Old Testament or New Testament, there is something to be done about it. Look what he says. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy aloud, and blessed are those who hear and obey things written in it, because the time is near. At the end of the book, Revelation 22, 7, look, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy expressed in this book. Every page of the book of Revelation is a call to obedient action to follow the Lamb. It's a prophetic word from God. And so, I gave you a lot of information today. And some of you look like you're in an 8.30 Bible class with me. And you're like, whoa, that was way more than I wanted today, Pastor Tom. Good, because we're going to unpack a little bit more of that next week. This series might actually go on longer than I think, but I'm hoping it doesn't go on real long. Um, but take the chart. Take one of the books. Use the Version Bible app. Read through some of these scriptures. Try to get an understanding of what apocalyptic literature is, what prophecy is, what an epistle, a letter means for us. And as we keep unpacking this, if there are things that you're like, whoa, Pastor Tom, I really disagree with you on that. Good. It's okay. You're allowed to come to church here and disagree with me. Because I probably disagree with you too. And it's okay. And if we actually sit down and maybe talk about our disagreements, we'll come to a third conclusion that neither of us would have thought of on our own. Oh, it's almost like the body of Christ in action. Wow, what a wise God we serve. And so I want to challenge you to actually start digging in a little bit and study the book of Revelation. Read through it over and over again. Use the chart. Try to come up with something that maybe you've never heard before and really begin to wrestle with it. Keep in mind, the main point of the book of Revelation, let's throw up one more verse. Revelation 14, 12. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. That's the big picture that we never want to walk away from. And so, Father, thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't the revelation of the Antichrist. This is the revelation of the living Christ, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. And I pray for us as a body over these next several weeks, as we really start reading and studying and meditating on this book, Holy Spirit, we need you. 
I mean, we don't understand apocalyptic literature. We don't have it today. We don't understand the culture of this first century. So we need your help. We need you to point us in the right direction. We need you to bring things across our path that are going to help us understand it because we want to make the right application for our lives today. We want to be faithful to Jesus in these last days. We want to be a part of seeing your kingdom come and your will being done on this earth. God, give us strength. Holy Spirit, show us as a church corporately or as individuals, maybe where we've compromised or where we've become apathetic or complacent. Show us the areas of our lives that maybe you want to speak clearly to us. And so give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church in these last days. Holy Spirit, I pray, give us grace. Give me grace as I try to organize thoughts and put things together to share with this body. Give them grace to be able to hear and understand and retain the things that you want them to retain. And help us to be diligent to seek after you with our whole heart by studying the words that you've put in front of us for how your kingdom operates on this earth. So Holy Spirit, thank you for the privilege of being a part of your kingdom. Help us to live this week as faithful followers of Jesus. I ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Again, there are offering baskets out on the table in the lobby. Uh, if you want to give in any of the offerings that were talked about today, other resources are out there. The October calendars are now out there for those of you that use the paper copies. Um, don't forget to pick up your copy of the chart that's out there as well. And uh, thanks for being here. God bless you as you go.